When I went on my eighth grade field trip to Washington, D.C., my father was one of the leaders of the trip, and on our trip, we went to um, Arlington National Cemetery, where um, our honored dead are buried. And in my memory, and this may be not true, but in my memory, when you, it's near the, near the entrance uh, of, of the cemetery where there's a small pedestal. And if you stop and you look at the pedestal, it's a, um, it's a, a memorial uh, to the participants in a failed rescue attempt of the Iranian hostages uh, during, what, 1979, 1978? And my father directed my attention to this memorial, and he, he pointed to the top name, which in my memory is Lynn McClintock? McIntosh, Lynn McIntosh. And he said, uh, Lynn McIntosh and I were in, in uh, flight school together. We learned to fly together. Um, Lynn was a good friend of mine. When the time came to decide where we would go, uh, Lynn signed up with the United States Army and became a helicopter pilot instead of a jet pilot. He was an honored captain. And when the time came uh, from the president's orders to attempt this rescue, uh, McIntosh was uh, given the the command of the mission uh, to pilot in. As the helicopter or helicopters were flying uh, in, there was a, a sandstorm. And uh, both rescue, there's one or two, two rescue helicopters? And a C-130. Um, the convoy uh, crashed and um, all hands were lost. Lynn McIntosh was my father's friend and he was a servant of this country. And tomorrow, Memorial Day, is the day that we honor his sacrifice Memorial, uh, memory, that's where memorial comes from. Um, And Israel's worship is based on memory. Almost all the time when you're in the Old Testament, uh, you hear over and over and over again, remember me, the God who brought you out of Egypt. This is part of the Psalms, part of the prayers of the people. Over and over again, we hear, remember what I did for you. You were slaves in Egypt and I brought you out. In fact, what we do here each Sunday is a memorial. It's a remembrance. It keeps fresh in our minds the truth that Jesus Christ has come. He has liberated us from death and sin, and he is coming back to rescue his people one final time. As we prepare to enjoy Memorial Day tomorrow, or if we're already enjoying Memorial Weekend, let us remember that the best way to honor those who have sacrificed for us here is to live lives worthy. Live lives worthy. Um, The Apostle Paul says, uh, live lives worthy of the calling with which you were called. As Christians, we live not for ourselves. We live in the image of the crucified Lord. So friends, as fun and as enjoyable as Memorial Day can be when the sun is shining and what wonderful weather here in Southern California. Thank you, Lord. Uh, as wonderful as, as, as our, as our uh, circumstances are and our situation is, please remember tomorrow the honored dead, uh, those who still serve, um, and rededicate our lives to honoring their mission on our behalf.
Speaking of worship, if you're getting a note sheet, you'll notice that it looks awful. That, uh, this is my fault. If, if you'd like, you could fold it in half. Normally your note sheets are printed on two sides. I am apparently incapable of using Microsoft Word and the printer, so, so you'll just have to fold it for you. Um, you have on your, uh, on your sheet uh, some text from the book of Hosea, and today's message will come from Hosea, Hosea 2, and you'll notice, just, uh, just in passing, notice the memorial that happens in the middle of this passage. Uh, the Lord is going to remind, he's going to have a memorial day, he's going to remind um, Israel who she is, where she comes from. Let me give you a little background. Hosea is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it is really insane. It's really crazy. God does some weird stuff. Uh, prophets are known for doing weird things. In the book of Hosea, Hosea uh, God calls the prophet Hosea to do something totally crazy. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, um, let me set the scene for you. This is approximately 750 B.C., Somewhere in there, uh, we're in the midst of the rise of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, the Israel, Israel's, kings, uh, Israel's kingdom is divided in two. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Hosea primarily speaks to the northern kingdom. Uh, and we'll see that in a second in the text. The northern kingdom is constantly under threat from what is now the world's power, Assyria. At the beginning, the Assyrians merely take their money. They, uh, they sort of sort of offer a tithe up to Assyria, like a, tribu- a, a tribute. And Assyria says, thank you very much. Uh, we'll let you sort of do your own thing. After a while, the Assyrians get bored of this, and Tiglath-Pileser Tiglath uh, decides to just put his thumb right down on the, uh, on the Israelites of the northern kingdom, and he, he conquers it. We're not exactly sure when in the midst of this Hosea is, is prophesying, but that's what's sort of in the background. What we need to know is that in this book, the political is the spiritual. The political is the spiritual. There's no difference between what are, what's politics and what's religion in this circumstance. And the reason for this is because the religious, which gods you worship, are, is tied to how you act politically. Right? So if you, um, if you say, uh, go after this god, and this god happens to be the god of the Assyrians or the Sumerians or whomever, then you are uh, not only giving your worship one place, but you're giving your political allegiance one place. And the Israelites, because they are in a terrible, terrible political situation, do what any person in a small, uh, what any people in a small country would do, and that is they hedge their bets. When you hedge your bets, you think, Ooh. Those Assyrians, they're real powerful. Maybe we should um, sort of worship some of their gods. Their gods offer us protection and prosperity. We'll worship some of their gods. And then at the same time, we know from uh, our own history that there's Yahweh, and we should worship Yahweh. Uh, He's our god. So, So they begin to worship a whole bunch of different gods. And Hosea is going to speak out against this. How does he do so? Well, if you know the story, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. God tells Hosea to find a prostitute and to marry her and to have children with her. Um, scholars aren't quite sure whether or not uh, it's a prostitute. There's a possibility that maybe Gomer, um, the woman that Hosea marries, maybe, maybe she's a, um, a, a priestess from a, a pagan religion. That could be the case. Whatever she is, she is what used to be 
I guess, politely referred to as a woman of ill repute. She's a woman with a, a, tarnished, a tarnished name. She's, uh, in the Old Testament, women like this are, are considered untrustworthy, dangerous, wily, cunning, always leading you astray. Yes. That may be a bit of an overstatement, but that's the way the Old Testament characterizes them. Whatever the case, she's scandalous. And Hosea is called to marry her. In fact, we'll find out, uh, if you read in the text, you find out that Hosea actually buys her. He, uh, it's, a, it's a very strange situation where he's forced to um, pay for her with uh, barley and silver. Um, take that for what it's worth. Together they have three children. Uh, their, fir- their first children is named Jezreel. Uh, Jezreel, in your notes, uh, this is, um, I have a couple blanks here. Jezreel is uh, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. So their first child represents, in a way, all of the northern kingdom. So by having this child, uh, by naming him Jezreel, uh, God, through Hosea, is, is signifying all of Israel. The next child, um, this, I, I'm not sure if this made the top 100 uh, girls' names this last year, but if, if it did, um, well, I'd be surprised. We were thinking about it. We, and we're, we're going with Olivia Ann, but we were thinking about Lo Rumaha. Yeah. Lo Rumah, if you really want to get the, the sort of the Hebrew guttural there. Um, Lo Rumah means gets no mercy. Um, so you can put that in, gets no mercy. I do it with a capital G and then a dash and then a capital N and a dash and a capital M. Gets no mercy, which is a really great name for a girl. Gets no, receives no mercy. You might, you might even say merciless, which is a very, wow. I, it's very strange to think that God called them to do this. Well, they have a third child. The third child is Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami is going to mean not my people. You can fill that in, not my people. So we've got Jezreel, gets no mercy, and not my people. Now, Scott, I know what he's thinking about. When I was, when I was reading this text for the first, well, it's what most of us are thinking about. When you hear these names, you naturally think about Johnny Cash and a boy named Sue. You guys remember this, this song, right? Boy Named Sue? Nobody? Scott knows. Scott knows. It, it, it's a country song. We're still calling Johnny Cash country. He might, he might be, um, he's moving into something different because of his legacy, but he's still a country artist. He has a song called Boy Named Sue. The, the, the song begins where uh, a, a man, the, the narrator, Johnny himself, says, gosh, my parents, I don't know what they were thinking, but they called me a boy, Sue. And let me tell you how terrible it made my life. I, don't, I haven't heard the song in 10 years, so I don't remember all the terrible things that happened. But I do remember this. As the song's going on, you're starting to think, you're starting to think, wow, this was a terrible decision on the parents' part. They're not very nice. But notice the character that is built from a man named Sue. Yes? When you're, when you're named Sue, you are picked on, you're made fun of. I was made fun of for my red hair, and now I'm made fun of for my nose hairs. He was made fun of for his, his name, Sue, uh, and as he had to fight his way up and strengthen himself, he, he, ga- he became a really great guy because he was strong. He was, he was able to deal with the people who were after him. And so at the end of the song, he's like, he's thinking back and he's like, you know what? You know what? If, you're gonna, if I'm going to name my child and I have a son, what am I? You know, I, I think I'm going to name him anything but Sue. That wasn't a, that, I thought that was a really funny song the first time I heard it. It's just... 
child naming, it's, uh, it's very important. I've found that um, we're probably, I don't know if we're going to go for three, but on, on both of the first two, I found that the best way to name your child is to agree with whatever your wife thinks is a good name. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, you love them regardless. No matter, no matter whether or not you name them Lo Rumaha and Lo Ami, you still love them. Ah. Uh, the reason, of course, uh, in, in general, that Yahweh does this, the way he takes this man's life and basically turns it upside down, you have to think about that. We, we often say that the biggest day of our life is our wedding day, right? Imagine, and then the second biggest day of our life is when our first child might be born. Imagine you're Hosea. Wow, your life plans just got thrown off the rails. This is insane. The reason God does this, of course, in general is to give an image for Israel and God. Israel, like Gomer, is a woman of ill repute. She chases after foreign gods, seeking their protection and prosperity. And when the time is right, she feels she can come back to Yahweh and seek his. If you read uh, the first two chapters of Hosea, you find out that Yahweh and Hosea uh, both treat their wives roughly. Um, there's both Israel and Gomer uh, suffer for their um, wanderings. But throughout, there is a message of hope. Because this marriage isn't like other marriages. And so let's read the text together. You have it on your note sheets. This is uh, New King James. If you'd like to follow in your pew Bible, you can. I've made a few um, changes, and I've put those in brackets so you know where I'm altering uh, the text slightly. I'm trying to do it for clarity and to uh, sort of bring you in on um, some of the irony that's going in, going on. But let's, uh, let's stand and let's read this together. So please, please stand. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness, the wilderness where God first met his people, and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of trouble as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call, call me my husband, literally my man. And no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the masters, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them, with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will marry you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, justice, Loving kindness and mercy, chesed, the never-ending, never-give-up love of God. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know, acknowledge, humbly acknowledge the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, they will answer the earth, and the earth will answer with grain, new wine, oil. They will answer Jezreel. 
And then I will sow for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on gets no mercy. I will say to not my people, my people, and he shall say, my God. You may be seated. What an amazing text. What a promise. Uh, this, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that Aaron and I have ever had a marital problem. Because that's obviously not true. But my parents have. They've actually had times where you know, they were fighting, they weren't getting along, whatever. In the middle of that, in the midst of that, what a promise to know that both have made this commitment, this faithfulness that says we're not going to give up. We're never going to give up. That's the promise that God gives here, the hesed promise of marriage, saying all these things you have done, but I will not give up, and it's not up to you. I will train you, I will situate you, and on the last day, on the right time, I will bring things to where they ought to be again. I will remind you of what you were like when we were dating. Those were great times, right? When we were dating. Oh, it's, you know, the baby, the baby is crying. She's, she's real upset. So Aaron's not here. Um, but man, we had some great dates. You know, I proposed to her at TGI Fridays. Yeah, I went really classy. Like TGI Fridays. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> she was surprised. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Bear. You're a great sport. Um, yeah, or, or just think about, uh, that was back when um, I, well, I, I just weighed myself. I'm, I'm now up to 211, uh, 211.5, I'll be honest. And at that time, though, I was in the, you know, the 180s, <laughs> One, 170s. Uh, so we would go shopping together. How fun is that? You know, get on those new $250 jeans. Are you kidding me? There are jeans that are $250? Wow, the dating, the dating period, is, it's, it's, it's wild. It's like anything is possible. I mean, you're, you're doing crazy things. I would never, ever, ever pay more than $16 for a pair of jeans. But in, in, in the period of dating, $250 seemed very reasonable. <laughs> I probably should have got them a few sizes too big. They're just, they've just been hanging there. Yeah. But that's what, that's what Yahweh says in the wilderness. Do you remember Israel? You had just come out of slavery, and I was pouring manna on you. I was providing you with food and drink. Everywhere you looked, we were together. Do you remember Israel? Well, it's going to be like that again. I'm going to take you from the valley of trouble. That's a achor. It's a, uh, it's a place near where the, the wilderness, um, the Sinai wilderness was. Because I'm, I'm going to turn that place, that valley of trouble, into a door of hope. And you're, you're going to sing there. And it's, that was another thing we used to do. I would, I, uh, this is a tip. Um, it's been scientifically proven that, this is true, it's true fact, science, uh, that if you, if you play guitar, women find you more attractive. I'm not kidding. I read this in the newspaper that somebody in the UK did a study where the, and women actually respond better to men with guitars. Just, so there you go. I used to, I used to play, you know, some, some kind of sappy songs like, hey baby, I love you. I would, I would write, you know, songs for Air Bear. Really, really cheesy. 
But this is what's going to happen again. It's going to be like that again. You're going you're gonna to forget all these things that have happened. And in that day, you're going to call me my man and not my master. That sounds really nice. The problem is uh, that it never happened. Um, if you, this is, you, know, you figure Hosea is working around 750 uh, BC. By uh, the mid 500s BC, the northern kingdom is gone. Uh, Jezreel has been sacked, it's been burned to the ground. Uh, there, there's points later on in the Old Testament where the prophets, they start warning the southern kingdom. They start saying, Judah, the last thing you want is to turn out like Ephraim, the northern kingdom. Don't go down Israel's path. That's another word for the northern kingdom. Or you know what? You might end up like Israel. So there's this vision of going back to the dating days. And it never happens. And it gets worse. It looks like God has, has basically ruined the lives of five people for no reason. Hosea, you're going after Gomer. Gomer, who knows what's going on through, in her mind? You know, she, it, it, at the beginning, it looks like she's probably been saved, you know, rescued out of prostitution or something like that. And, and, and now, with a man who has property and money, the fact that he's able to buy her, uh, indicates that Hosea is doing okay. So it looks like things are going really well. And then she has children, and Hosea is like, nah, not Billy. No, how about, how about uh, not my people? She's like, oh, okay. No, no, not, uh, not Sarah, not Alice. It's, it's merciless. Moreover, as you read outside of our section, you find that uh, Hosea treats her quite harshly. Um, as sort of as a symbol for the way God is going to treat Israel. Um, to, there's things like uh, tearing clothes away, taking away possessions. Like really, in some ways, it looks almost violent. Wow. There's a, there's a great um, old uh, Jewish joke where the rabbi um, is looking up. I, I want to say it might even show up in uh, the Fiddler on the Roof, where he says, Lord... Thank you for making us the chosen people. Next time, choose someone else. Right? Um, <laughs> and, and, and you can imagine Gomer think, thinking that. You can imagine Hosea thinking that. You can imagine these children thinking that. And, and not only that, you can certainly imagine the last 40 years of feminist scholarship looking at this text and being like, this is what we call a text of terror. This is not the way women should be treated. This is not... They, yeah, I... I'm sorry, guys. Scholars, they drive me nuts sometimes. They really, they really go after God in this text. God, why would you do this? God, why would you act this way? And for what, God? It doesn't even show, it, it doesn't even look like there was a point to it. After all of this, this wrecking their lives, Israel doesn't come back. Northern kingdoms obliterated, never to be seen again. Well, I have on your uh, outline three um, responses to this. 
Um, I think the first is that uh, Gomer's situation may not be as bad as it looks. And I, okay, so I, you know, I have to read, I'm reading a lot of feminist scholarship about Hosea, whatever, and I get really frustrated. And then I think back to the dating days. One of the things I used to do with Aaron, which I think we should probably do again, we used to read romance novels together. I know, I know, it's crazy. Okay, we read one romance novel because after that I was done. But the, Danielle Steele, the romance novel we read was a Christian romance novel by Francine Rivers. Um, Some of you may have read it. Uh, I think, I think it was called Redeeming Love. Is that right? Redeeming Love. And the story, it's, it's a retelling, a modern retelling of the story of Hosea and Gomer. Right? And the main, and the protagonist is this woman who has been horribly abused, uh, by her culture and her, her circumstances. And has been, has been, uh, she, she finds herself as a prostitute. She is in the lowest place that you can go. And the book really honestly deals with the psychological damage that that does to a young girl. To, to really um, be, be a part of a world where she is taught systematically that she is unlovable. And, and Francine Rivers, uh, bless her, and I, I encourage, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good book to read. Um, Bless her, she gets something that scholars completely miss. And that is, these are real stories with real people. And these are real circumstances. Living in the Assyrian Empire as a poor young girl is not an easy thing, and it damages you. There is a sense in which Gomer is rescued. And there is a sense in which the harsh treatment she sometimes receives is meant for her good. Um, And I... I encourage you to, to, to read that book, maybe, um, and see how it is that, that even harsh treatment can be the treatment of love. And it can be redeeming love, retraining a damaged soul to see something that is good and beautiful again. So that's one thing. Another thing, sometimes God asks his people to do tough things. Sometimes God asks us for hard things. Uh, if you're curious, you want to read more about that, I would suggest um, the Gospels where Jesus is asked to undergo the, you know, the ultimate suffering for our sakes. Or after that, uh, the, the, our, our church tradition, where we see that the apostles and Paul were martyred um, for the sake of the kingdom. God sometimes puts us in places where we have to do awful things. And I do feel bad for not my people and no, not, uh, gets no mercy and Jezreel. I do. I feel bad for those kids and the boy named Sue. I feel bad for them all. But sometimes we're in a place where God asks us to do hard things for his kingdom. But it's the last one that I want to spend our time on. I have uh, written down, it says number three, it says humans sometimes experience a disconnect between words and reference. Yeah, that's a little weird. Disconnect between words and reference. If you go back into the text, you'll notice that I've, uh, in verse 17, I've put brackets around um, masters. Um, I, I really like the New King James translation of this uh, section because unlike a lot of modern translations, in verse 16, it says, and you can look over there, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Many modern translations, if you look through on verse 16, they'll say that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal, my Baal, as we say in English. 
For I will take from the names, uh, the mouth, the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In verses 16 and 17. Uh, in Hebrew, uh, the normal Hebrew word for master or owner or lord is Baal. 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 Uh, it's, in, it's in your notes as well. It's Baal. So uh, this, you, you can understand this. Imagine, uh, if you will, that uh, you're talking to your friend and you're talking about the Lord. Right? We say Lord. And when we say Lord, we know that what, who we're talking about is um, Yahweh God. Right? God of the angel armies, as we sometimes hear in our, in our songs now. Uh, that's who we're talking about. But if your friend is uh, Muslim, then your friend says Lord and refers to Allah who I think we would say is not the same person, right? We're using the same word, but we're talking about two different people. The same thing was going on in Israel. Because Baal means Lord, people would talk about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And there were different kinds of lords. There was the Lord who who demanded child sacrifice. That was one Lord. There was the Lord who demanded um, certain types of sexual rights. That was a Lord. There was the Lord who demanded, and you can see this uh, in the two kings uh, representation of Isaiah, you can see a, a Lord that demands that you cut yourself to worship him. Right? There's lots of Lords out there. The question is, who's the real Lord? And in this passage, in this book, I want to suggest to you the whole point of Hosea all, what, 14 chapters of the book, is to get a people who are used to saying, Lord, 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 to stop and say, my man. It's to completely reconfigure how they think about God. It's to say, not Lord, not Lord, not Lord, it's husband, my man. If they can stop and they can reconceptualize who God is in terms of husband and not master, owner, Lord, they're going to start to talk to the real God and not to all these other lords when they pray. Because that's the problem. Their prayer life is aimed in all these different directions. They don't know who they're talking to. I promised Emily that I was going to... Uh, well, I warned her. Emily, uh, Emily, just raise your hand. Just, Emily, God bless her. She, uh, she suffers through my little, my youth messages in the barn week in, week out. Whenever she's here, she comes and she, and she can't stand it because every time I, I, I talk to the kids, I use some kind of science fiction reference or some uh, terrible fantasy movie and she's just lost and she, I'm sorry, Emily, I warned her today, one more, one more. You guys all know, of course, the greatest TV series in the history of human history TV making, right? I am so proud of this congregation. That's right, Firefly. 2002, one season, it was canceled. They, they brought it back and turned it into a movie, Serenity. I mean, it's amazing. In the first, in the, in the pilot, in the pilot of this show, uh, we're in a spaceship, and it's kind of like the Wild West, but we're in a spaceship, which is awesome. And, uh, and the, the, the captain of the ship uh, has done all these crazy things. He's been erratic and insane. He's been doing these wonderful and wild and insane things. And he's got this doctor that he wants to invite to be a part of his crew. And so he says, Doctor, I want you to, uh, I want you to think about being part of my crew. And the doctor stops and he says, Yeah, um, I don't know how to put this delicately. So I'm just, I'm just going to say it. How do I know you're not going to shoot me in my sleep? And the captain looks at him and he says, you don't know me, son. 
So I'm going to explain this once. If I ever shoot you, you will be awake, you will be facing me, and you will be armed. <laughs> if you're not sold, if you're not sold, there's no hope for you. That was, I, I saw that, I, it's burned into my memory. I was like, I saw that and I was like, that's what a man is. <laughs> but you will be awake, you will be facing me, and you will be armed. Wow. But think about that. Think about what the captain is go- what's going through the captain's head. Here's this guy who has seen him do all these amazing heroics, going to every possible length to protect his crew, come what may. And this guy still doesn't get it. He doesn't know me. The captain says, you don't know me, son. So I'm going to explain this to you. God's looking at Israel and he's saying, you don't know me, girl. So I'm going to explain it to you. I'm not your master. I'm not your owner. I'm not the one who runs your life all the time this way and that way. Stop thinking of me like that. Think of me like your man. If you can just start entering the world where you think of me like your man, you're going to stop, you're going to stop saying, oh, let's have child sacrifices, let's stop cutting ourselves. You're going you're gonna to forget all of that. You're going to come back and you're going to recognize what characterizes me as your God. You're going to see that I am righteousness, justice, loving kindness, and said mercy, never give up, never give up commitment, committed faithful love. That's what you're going to remember. That's what you're going to know. And when you say Lord after that, you're going to be talking about the right man. Stop thinking of me as your owner. Stop thinking of me as master. Stop using those words, Israel. Change the way you speak. If you speak differently, you will think differently. If you start thinking of me as husband and not as master, you will start thinking about my character differently. You will think about what I've done differently. You will realize that I brought you out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt because I love you. Because I care about you. You're going to start to realize that I don't give you these laws and these commands to crush you. I do it to protect you. What interesting language is used, too. Um, if, you, if you look uh, at a couple of places, like, for example, verse 22, uh, he talks about new wine, um, which, which if, if you're familiar with the scriptures, that should, ding, you start hearing something. Or, or even just the language of the husband, the man, the bridegroom, ding. If you're, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you're thinking immediately, as New Testament Christians, to the, the Johannine literature. You're thinking of John 2, when, when Jesus brings new wine to the wedding in Cana. You're thinking of Revelation 21, where uh, the new world, the new Jerusalem, is known as, as the Lord's uh, uh, bride, and the Lord himself is the husband, the bridegroom. You're thinking about that. You're hearing that. And you're hearing John picking up on the language of Hosea, John realizing that in this new time, in the person of Jesus Christ, What never happens for the northern kingdom happens for all people. 
When Hosea is tasked to calling his son, not my people, he's not just talking about the northern kingdom. He's talking about everywhere. Because all of us were born as Gentiles, as not my people. But God, looking forward into the ages, sees where everything is going, realizing, explaining to us that there's going to be a time when everyone who is named not my people calls out and says, my God. So as we read Hosea uh, 2 in the future, if you're studying uh, the text, I, I, I recommend, I suggest to you that uh, verses 14 to 23 should be, should be read as prophecy. Um, the way we think about prophecy typically as, as testifying to the future reality. Um, what you're getting there is you're getting sort of a compression of the incarnation of Christ, um, his work in the world, um, and our, our final reality. Um, Christ comes and betrothes us, the church, uh, to himself in all of these things, um, righteousness, justice, loving kindness, mercy, uh, brings the new wine of the new covenant, the covenant of grace. And takes us out of our valley of trouble and into the door of hope. Which also brings up another thought about the husband language. You see, there... uh, you, you may have noticed this. There's such a thing. There's good husbands and there's bad husbands. There's medium husbands. I'm like somewhere here. I'm on the bad to medium husband in the, in the range of things. I, I, you know, I try to work at it, but I'm a very selfish human being. I'll admit that. And uh, so it's, it's a little bit difficult for Air Bear. So if you were to ask Air Bear, you know, she's thinking about husbands or whatever, and she's like, ugh, husbands, ugh. But whereas, you know, I look at, say, you know, what, Scott, Doug, my father, right, Glenbow, you know, Jesse, they're good husbands, right? Like, uh, you know, if, you, if you have them in mind when you think of husbands, you're going to be sort of on the right path. Yes? <laughs> Is that not true? Not true. <laughs> Jesse, get to work, buddy. The, the idea, of course, behind that is, is, is that our, our concept, when we think about God as a husband, we're the church, God is our husband, or in the context of Hosea's day, the northern kingdom is uh, the bride and, and Yahweh is the husband. When you think about that, in order, for it to, in order for your words, my husband, to capture who God is, you have to have the right idea of what a husband is like. Yes? Because if you think... If you think of husbands as sort of selfish, lazy people, then, then when you're saying my husband, you're like, ugh, my husband, ugh. And you're not getting right the relationship between God and the people in the church. And that's the way it is with all of our words. Our words, uh, they're, they're, they're slippery things. They, it's, it, it's hard to get them to, to latch on to things. Um, it was hard for the doctor to, see, to get his words and his ideas to, to latch onto the captain. He didn't see who the captain really was. And his words didn't quite get there. We have the same problem. And God knows that. Which is why God does what we do when we try to understand words. And he looks at and he expounds the reality behind them. You want to know what a good husband looks like. 
my friends. He, he comes with words of peace. He comes in healing. He comes expelling the demons, freeing the captives. He comes, and at, at, the, ex, at the extreme point, when all looks like it's lost, he lays himself down for his wife. You want to know what a good husband is. He's the one who sees his wife in distress, knows that her character is not, shall we say, the best possible, and yet liberates her from bondage and slavery anyway. Friends, you want to know what the good husband looks like. He is the one who provides for his people in the wilderness, though they complain and complain and complain. He gives and gives and gives. So when we say, God, you are our man, our husband, the content behind that comes from the story we know that God has lived with us as people. God's history tells us what a good husband is. Now, uh, just, just to wrap up here. Um, I confess to you that my, my prayer life is, um, it gets into what you might call a rut, right? Where um, I, I say the same things over and over. Maybe this is something that's happened to you as well. Where I, uh, I, I typically, when I'm speaking about God or speaking to God, I, I say, Lord. I start, I, okay, it's a pattern. I start out with Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. And yes, Lord. It's funny. I don't even think about the words I'm using. Right? It, it, it's, it's a pattern. It's something that, I, that I've done over and over and over and over again. What's really crazy is if you, if you look through the scriptures, you're going to find just tons and tons of different metaphors, different ideas that God speaks of about God's self, right? Sometimes God is father, daddy, as, uh, as Doug um, uh, spoke earlier. Um, and, and that's because at that time, people were looking at, at God as sort of a taskmaster. He's like, I'm not a taskmaster, I'm your daddy. At this time, people are looking at God and they're saying, you're our owner. And he says, I'm not your owner, I'm your husband. There, there's, a point, uh, there's a point in the Psalms, where, uh, or in, in Isaiah, where, where God says, um, I'm like a woman in childbirth setting you free. People are thinking that God's, he's just off nowhere, you know, he's, he's doing his thing and he's not paying attention to our situation. No, 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 I'm like, it's like I'm in labor with you. You see what, what happens in the scriptures over and over and over. Our words, our titles for God, the way we speak to God, he tells us, he says, you're missing something. When you're talking to me, Tom, over and over, Heavenly Father, Lord, you're, you're, you're talking and you're missing me, you're missing part of me. He wants to shake me up. Change your words. Change your language. I'm not just your Heavenly Father. I am that, and that's important. I'm not just your Lord. He is that, and that's important. I'm also the lover that pursues you to the ends of the world. I'm also the one who is willing to suffer through labor to save you. I am also the one, over and over, uh, Jesus refers to uh, the Lord as, as a sort of a, a mother hen who, who chases after and gathers her chicks 
to herself, protecting them. I, I'm, not, I'm not just your Lord. I'm not just your husband. I'm not just... I'm, I'm also uh, like, like a, a, a chicken, protecting, gathering, nurturing. There are so many different ways that God represents himself in Scripture to us. Why? Because our words are fragile. They're slippery. And they don't always catch... They never, they never catch the reality of who God is. God is bigger and wider and more insane and more wild and more loving than we can possibly imagine. In seminary, my friend Bobby, he, um, we were at his Bible study, and he, he comes in one day, and we were talking about the usual things, which is, uh, you know, sin that we were struggling with, and he's like, guys, stop. I'm like, yeah, okay, Bobby, what? He's like, have you ever, have you ever been to Europe and seen those churches? I was like, well, yeah, yeah, I, um, I did. I, I went, I, I've seen Westminster Abbey. And I've seen uh, the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Uh, interestingly, the Hagia Sophia no longer has Christian worship because in that part of the world, Christianity has uh, completely moved on. Nevertheless, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I. He's like, what, what does that say about how they thought about God? If, if your inclination when you're going to build a building for worship is to make something with these huge Ceilings where the, the echoes go up and up and up. And there's, and there's bright art, uh, artwork where the sun comes in and bathes people in multicolored light. What does that tell you about how they thought about God? Well, one thing you'd say is they, they, they thought of God as, as majestic, as above, even in some cases as far away. And he's like, now think about you know, the churches that, that we go to. And Bobby uh, went to... Um, one of the, uh, like a more contemporary, uh, one of those churches where there's no windows, you know, where they can control the light uh, and the music's very, very loud. Um, he went to one of those churches and he was like, he's like, the interesting thing is the architecture, the way that it's built, says that God is like my friend. Look at the contrast in that. In Europe, you walk into the cathedral, God's far away, majestic, overpowering. You walk into contemporary service, he's your buddy. You know something's weird? I think in some ways they're both true. Jesus is a friend of mine, as the song says. And yet, he is the Lord of the world. How wild must our prayer life be? How wild must our imagination be if we are to begin to do justice to who God is when we talk to him? When we think of what he is able to do in this church, in our lives, how wild must our speech be? My friends, I challenge myself and all of us to think deeply about how big and how small and how wide and how narrow and how loving and how merciful and how just, and how righteous, and how, and how, and how, and how, and how, and how God is. And if we ever start to go off the rails, if we ever start to go too far down a, a, a path, thinking about who God is, remember his story. Remember what he's done. And I'll pull you back in. Why is this important? Only because I think it'll allow us to begin to expect new and different things from a God who is prepared to give them to us. 
I admit, it's very strange for me to think of God as my husband. And really, truthfully, he should be more like our husband. But if we're betrothed, and we're moving towards our wedding day, well, I need to do some work if I'm going to fit into the dress. Yes? Let's pray. Holy God, you who have called yourself our husband, our father, our daddy, our lord, our king, our warrior, our laborer, our friend, you who have called yourself God, holy, almighty, ever-loving God. We pray that we will begin to see more of you, to speak more of you, to expect more of you, to become more holy for you. That we will see the depths and the heights and the widths and the narrows and the shallows of your love, of your plans, of your goodness, and that always, always they will terminate in the life and death and resurrection and coming of your son. Reveal yourself to us again, afresh, anew. Let us experience your love deeply and fully this day, every day to come. We bless you now and forever, and in your son's name we pray, amen.